before he comes. So, yep. So I'm going to go ahead and do that, and then I'll invite him to come up, and we'll pray for him. So, reading today from the Gospel of John, chapter 12. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary, then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as the keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. This is the good news of Christ. Hi. What a guy. Gordy has had just a crazy couple of weeks, and you're still here. Thank you for serving us today. Lord, thank you so much for our friend and our leader. He is so faithful to be both our friend and our leader. And uh, as I see the title here, Relationship Versus Idealism, I believe this is something that Gordy knows about. And I believe that he's, as he always done, sought you to hear your word for us today. I ask once again that you would open our hearts and ready our hearts to hear, give us ears to hear what you would have to say to us today. And I pray that you would strengthen Gordy in his inmost being. I pray that he would be strengthened and filled instead of drained today as he served. As he comes to your table, this, this picture in this this verse today is about Jesus being at the table with his friends. So as we come to this table to feast on your gospel, and as we come together and we have communion together today, Lord, I pray that he would be filled and not emptied, that he would be strengthened and not weakened, and that we would partake in that with him. And I ask these things in your sweet name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Excuse me a moment.
Good. <laughs> Thanks, Mark. Am, am, I, am I on here too? Yeah, okay. So, um, good morning, everyone. And just to, uh, I saw Frances here. Uh, she sent me a note this morning that one of our elders in the lower post is gravely ill. So we're going to pray for Fanny t- together at the end of the sermon service today. And uh, just lovely elder, the Bannock Queen, I used to call her. Uh, so let's we'll just hold her in our hearts as we prepare for communion and prayer together. Um, so we've been going through this series, uh, Sustainable Outward Focus, um, just a theme the Lord kind of laid on our hearts going into the new year. And we've been following the lectionary, uh, you know, through Epiphany and now Lent, season of Lent. And... Um, the idea of being outward focused, outwardly focused has to do with being a servant community, that in a serve me world, that our focus is outward, that we're, we're, we're here for the community, we're here for the, the city and for the world as the church, and we're here for one another, of course. And, uh, but how do we do that in a way that's uh, sustainable? How do we do that in a way that we don't burn out, that I don't suffer the kind of breakdown I suffered 30 years ago in ministry and, um, and various degrees of that and what that looks like. How do we do that without imploding? Because if we don't serve sustainably, we won't serve at all. It all becomes about me if we don't serve sustainably. And so to explore this, we've been following the lectionary, which is the Christian year given through scripture. And basically what I love about it, I listen, I take in other people's podcasts around the world, and it's really cool that we're often preaching on the same text, no matter where you are. It's a beautiful way for the church to be unified. And we're not opposed to sometimes following a teaching theme, but I love following the lectionary. And we're going to do that this morning. And we're coming near the season of Lent, and you can feel it in the text, can't you? You can feel the sense of the cross is approaching, the, the, the sufferings and the death and resurrection of Christ are approaching. And you feel that. The season of Lent was meant to prepare the church for the season of Easter, and originally the season of Lent was meant to prepare new converts for baptism at Easter. And the whole church would join in that preparation. Uh, in a sense of being rebaptized and rebirthed every Easter. Um, and so today I want to talk about relationships versus ideals, versus idealism. What's that got to do with sustainability? Well, let me open with the story of Larry. Larry is a cat who lives around the corner from my house. He's a beautiful cat, multicolored, in a variety of beautiful shades. And more than that, there's this countenance about Larry that I've very rarely seen on anybody, let alone cat. 
I found out that he was named Larry after the second time I met him because he has this beautiful necklace and with a name tag on it. I thought, Larry, pleased to meet you. I'm Gordy. So I've been connecting with Larry for several years now because he, on my prayer walk, I, he, he lives a couple of blocks near the end of my morning prayer or, or run, if I go for a run. And he's, he's often there, not in the rain, but any other time. And uh, he greets me on the way home and he stands there waiting for a little pet or scrub on, under his neck and and there's rarely a time, regardless of how busy I feel or am, that I don't stop to pet him. And I notice a lot of neighbors do this as well, including high school students on their way to school. And sometimes Larry will be on the other side of the street when I'm walking by that area. And no kidding, he'll often, not always, but often, he'll come bounding across the street, meowing very loudly, and greeting me, and I'll stop to pet him. And even if there's dogs around, it doesn't seem to phase him. So I'm so impressed with Larry that I've actually gone out of my way to take my granddaughters to go meet him and find him some mornings. So the question is, why have I told you this story? And the answer is, I just really like Larry. No, that's not me. The reason is simply because it became very apparent to me uh, after not too long that this cat has been loved. He's a loved animal. He obviously has a very good owner who's treated him well and lavished him with affection. And this is born fruit in the way Larry is. He's vigilant, smart about cars. And, and, but he isn't living his life spooked and in fear. I've, you've all seen pets, probably, that, are, that have, haven't been loved. They've been traumatized. And they withdraw in fear and distrust and even hostility. And we are a church that is focused on loving well. If we do anything at the end of time and we stand before Judgment Day, and there will be a Judgment Day for our church. Don't let that word scare you because there is a negative aspect of Judgment Day in Scripture. But there's also a very positive aspect. It's like graduation. Graduation day, it's a, it's a celebration. So we will be held to an account about our outward focus and sustainability as a church. And I want to hear Jesus say, well done, you loved well. That is our marker. That is our, our standard. I'd, I'd love to see lots of disciples come to Christ. I'd like to see lots of healings and miracles and people set free. But uh, I want to know that we loved well. And the most important thing in loving it well is like Larry, have we received love well? Because if you can't receive love, you can't love well. Just. And one of the biggest things that trip us up in loving well is in receiving love is, is idealism. A lot of energy and resources can be invested in activities that look like love, but there are ideals. Paul said it's possible actually to be a martyr and not have loved. Wow. Bummer. Right? After having gone through all that torture and everything. And if you're going to be a martyr, make it worth it. 
it's possible to actually be involved in serving the poor. And he said you could actually give everything you have away to the poor. Sell your house, give all the money to the poor, and not have love. Whoa. Come on, make, make it worth it. So you can love the poor as an issue, as an object, as a project, but not love actual people. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said that the person who loves community, get this, the person who loves community will destroy it in his classic life together. Isn't that crazy? But the one who loves their brother or sister builds community. Why? Because you can have your perfect ideal of what a perfect community is, but then a brother or sister comes in and ends up wrecking your ideal. You know? It's like the person who complains they're looking for the perfect church, but then they join it and they wreck it. Right? Just kidding. It's a, so it's a lot harder to love people than it is to love an ideal. And so our story today, I think, deals with this tension between relationships and ideals. We see someone who loves well contrasted with someone who's in love with an ideal and they don't love well. So let's go to our text again. I want to walk you through it. And get the setting, because Jesus has just come to Bethany, and Kathleen and I have been to Bethany. It's a few short miles north of Jerusalem, a little town, and it's where Mary and Martha and Lazarus lived. And a few weeks before, Jesus had just raised Lazarus from the dead. He had to leave town kind of fast, because it was a pretty dangerous miracle. Because up to that point, people were going, well, is he Messiah or is he not? And the Jewish leaders are going, hey, you know, too much ambiguity. And boom, he raises this guy from the dead. Well, that kind of removed the ambiguity. So everybody wants to make him king. So he leaves town. And it seems like maybe he went to the wilderness of Judea where John the Baptist was. And the other gospels seem to say that he took one last trek to Galilee and then came back down on his final walk. I love when I did the funeral for Elsie last week on Sunday, they, the First Nations call that time the final walk with someone. And this was like Jesus' final walk to his death. According to the other Gospels, he'd just come through Jericho, where, remember what happened there? He went for, for dinner with a kind of shady character named Zacchaeus. And then he healed the blind guy, Bartimaeus, I mean, he was on a roll, and he was healing and preaching and loving and relating and serving, and he's tired. I could relate to that this week. There are times after ministry when you're so bone-weary, you can hardly move. There are times I literally can't move, and it's not like I was out there like some of the guys in our church, you know, hurling heavy things around all day physically. But when you, when you serve and minister, it's like virtue. It's like the very juice of your heart is given out and given away. And especially if you're healing the sick, it takes something out of you, even though it's God that's doing it. He doesn't do it apart from us. And he's tired. And he comes to, to Bethany, 
And it seems to have been about around the Shabbat before his death. So remember, Good Friday. So if you can imagine the Saturday, the day before Palm Sunday. This is when he's arriving with, at the home, or not at the home, but in the town of Mary, Martha. And we learn from the other Gospels that it was actually in the home of a guy named Simon the leper. Now, why would you call someone Simon the leper? Well, when you read the New Testament, you find out there's a lot of guys named Simon. So somebody said, oh, it's at Simon's. Oh, which Simon? Oh, Simon the leper. Oh, that guy. It's not his last name. He was obviously not a leper anymore. Jesus had healed him. So they decided to have a dinner in Jesus' honor. Celebrating is important. We were at the Strathcona celebration. It's incredible what God's doing for our Strathcona. These guys came and piggybacked with us for a couple years. They were almost like dying and not viable as a church. Now they've got two community houses that have been given to them, big massive mansions. One's maybe the oldest house in Vancouver standing. Seriously. And then they've had all this money. It, it was all in the midst of renovations. I just love those guys. Because they don't care that it's just half finished. You know, there's, there's you know, bare wires and two-by-fours. And they're just, woo they're celebrating. There's just something about celebrating God's miracles. And, and, and these guys said, you know, that resurrection, we should maybe celebrate. Lazarus coming from the dead, you know, we should do something. Build a pile of stones or, you know. And Simon the leper, he's not, you know. I, you know, I, if I was Simon, I could say after a few years, could, could you change my name a little bit? Oh. So I want us to look at four characters here. Simon's hosting, and it's at, and Martha's obviously involved in the cooking, but there's four characters. So the first one is, the first two show up in the, in the first two verses, uh, Lazarus and, and Martha. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table. So the two people here are Martha and Lazarus. Martha's serving. Does that ring a bell? Of course it does. It brings to mind the previous serve story about her that didn't end so well for her, did it? She kind of got rebuked by Jesus because she was, in her spirit was wrong. Not because she was serving. I want to say that. Not because she was serving, but because her spirit. She put busyness before relationship, maybe ideals before relationship. But it's amazing to me how much we talk about that bad story about Martha, and we don't talk about this story. This is an amazing picture of Martha. Because again, we find her serving, but something's different. We don't yet know where Mary is, but Martha, for her, gone is that sense of complaining. Gone is that sense of resentment. Gone is that sense of comparison, like, what are you guys doing? Look at all I'm doing. What are you guys doing? Gone, that's gone. That's not there anymore. What's changed? I know what happened. She took the emotionally healthy relationships course. <laughs> but don't you think that some of that was the sense of gratitude that her, 
She'd been living for four days and maybe longer with the reality that her brother was gone. You know how when you lose a loved one and you're, you're now coming to, you're, you're having to settle with the reality that you're going to have to live the rest of your life without them. And then Jesus shows up and she has that unforgettable conversation with Jesus where he said, your brother will rise again. She says, yes, I know. You know, I've read the end times and I know on the last day he's going to rise again at the resurrection. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, though they were dead, yet they'll live. And then she recalls him going to that tomb and to their dismay, ordering the stone to be removed. And she says, but Lord, and her practical gift comes out. He stinks by now. And then to hear those words, Lazarus, come out. And to see her brother walk out like a mummy. And Jesus says, unwrap him. Her brother's back. And so all she feels is the sense of privilege. She goes about refilling the plates of vegetables and lentils and lamb skewers and offers to refill their wine glasses and bring them dessert. My brother's back. Jesus is our rescuer. He's, he's here with him. We're safe. Everything will be okay. Brings a whole new meaning to no worries. Hakuna Matata. He's here. What a privilege. You see, the church needs Martha's. As pastors, we love Martha's because we'd never get anything done around here. We need Martha's, and because of them, we have cookies, coffee, snacks, video, welcome tables, sound, people who take care of our lift and open and lock the doors, clean up the garbage, the food, the waste. They take care of the recycling. They clean up the messes, and they arrange and prepare the meals. We need them. We need the Martha's. But stop seeing Martha as a negative. We need Marthas who are emotionally healthy and serving out of love and gratitude, not out of shoulds and have-tos, where the serving becomes toxic. Now, we have another person here. His name is Lazarus. And he's just hanging out. And we need some of those people, too. Because sometimes the Marthas are so busy doing what they're doing that they don't see a visitor come in. And they, we need somebody just to hang out with, with people just to love them, be present. That's a gift too, I think. I think a lot about, about sustainability is finding a good match for your gift and your passion and your experience. We all have to do some chores, but, but by and large, just doing what we love doing. I think that's sustainability. And I think Lazarus had this relational gift, this capacity to just be, to be present and you know, it would have been sad if everybody was running around getting the meal ready and nobody was talking to Jesus. Saying, hey, well, tell us about Jericho. Tell us about that blind guy. And how, did you hang, how did you handle all that criticism of Zacchaeus? And then there's Mary. Mary comes bursting in the room. Mary took a pint of pure nard and they... they uh, commentators think this was a very expensive import from India. And it was not your eau de toilette or cologne. This is pure perfume. None of that diluted stuff. Great price, very costly. 
We'll find out in a few minutes that it's, it's, it's worth a year, as, as Judas said, a year's wages. The other Gospels actually inform us that before she wiped his feet, she first anointed his head with oil. This was a very common way in the Middle Eastern culture to welcome somebody with a kiss and to anoint their head with this oil, but she didn't stop there. John records that she gets carried away, and it's reminiscent of another story, isn't it? Not in John, but in Luke, where an unnamed woman came in and did the same thing, only instead of washing his feet, it was very common to wash a guest's feet or to provide a pail where they could wash their feet because of the, the dusty Middle Eastern roads. It was very common to provide a basin. But that woman, it says in, in Luke 7, washed his feet with her tears. And it's a very similar thing happening here. And that woman, we remember, was, was pouring out her love because Jesus said she'd been loved and forgiven much. Those who are Forgiven much, love much. And this is what's happening. This has to be what's happening with Mary. She's been loved much. All she's doing is pouring back what's been poured into her. Was it Lazarus's being dead and brought back to life? Or was she the same woman? Is it possible? I've read a lot of commentators. Nobody can prove to me that it isn't. It's actually the same woman named Mary Magdalene. They didn't call her Mary Magdalene here because there was a sense of protectiveness that the early apostle writers had because she had a pretty, pretty shady past, pretty broken past. And it's possible that she was a, a prodigal that came home. Very possible. We don't know for sure. But work with me on this. Let's look at the setting of how, you know, a lot of times we think that when Jesus ate, it was kind of like this, Da Vinci's idea. And that, that's nice, but that's not really the way it was. By the way, some, some suggest that this was actually Mary Magdalene showing up in the Last Supper. But it was more like this. This is a group of Middle Eastern women in the ancient Near East eating and I, this was the best picture I, I could find, so I used this. But if, you can see how that they're reclining. So it would have been easy for Mary to come at the feet of Jesus and also anoint his feet and wash them, right? So in the, in the Gospel of Luke, this woman is nameless to protect her identity, but in John's gospel, he, he identifies her again as Mary, the sister of Martha. So I'd like to propose, as I said, this is the same woman, and perhaps none other than Mary Magdalene. Now, I don't have full evidence, but we know that Mary Magdalene and this Mary were both very close to Jesus, perhaps amongst his closest friends. Both were disciples of Jesus. Mary Magdalene in the Gospel of Luke 8 was named as one of the disciples who followed Jesus. His inner core. And it goes on to say, out of whom he cast seven demons.
in a day when women were not normally disciples of rabbis, because to be a disciple implied that you become a teacher and a rabbi yourself, Mary sat at Jesus' feet. And the whole Mary Martha thing is more about sexism and the criticism that went on there than it is about who was serving and who was not. For Mary to sit at Jesus' feet was to be a learner and a disciple. Mary Magdalene is later credited by the early church as being called the apostle to the apostles because she was the first to witness the resurrected Christ, the first one that he appeared to. Now, why did he do that? And was commissioned by Jesus, she was, to go tell his male disciples who just didn't quite get it yet. She's described as being a woman of resource, very wealthy. I mean, you don't just get a year's wages worth of perfume from nowhere. Mary Magdalene was also very wealthy and was one of those who resourced Jesus financially, following him around. She's described, as I said, of being the one out of whom Jesus cast seven demons. What were those demons? All I know was they were seven horrific ways in which she was driven to degrade and hate herself and make self-destructive choices and hurt the ones she loved the most. And Jesus, with a word, set her free, cast those demons out, forgave her many sins, and out of gratitude, forgiven much she loved much. Whatever the factors for this Mary of Bethany, we know that it drove her to an act of incredibly crazy, extravagant love where she poured out a year's wages on Jesus. She loved much because she received that love, because she was forgiven much. In contrast, we have Judas, the pragmatist, the idealist. Judas, who John comments, is about to betray Jesus. He was already on the path towards betrayal, looking for an opportunity. Why? Judas had an agenda, a political agenda. He had an ideal. We have to read between the lines a bit in the Gospels, but there's good evidence to show that Judas had lost patience with the way of Jesus and how Jesus was. He loved the idea of a Messiah more than the Messiah, Jesus. He didn't like this message of love for your enemies and the patience to wait for God's kingdom of peace and justice, justice through nonviolence. He wanted Jesus to use his power to overthrow the Romans. And when he saw Lazarus come from the dead, he said, there's no way those Romans can ever kill him. We just have to force his hand, manipulate. So he'd already decided to betray Jesus. And the sheer beauty and extravagance of Mary's actions drove him over the edge. Somebody was kind of complaining to me a little while ago, why I don't preach on hell more. Do I believe in hell? You better believe I believe in hell. I believe in hell. Just go for a walk with me. But you know, what, you know what's more scary than hell and why I don't preach about it very much? It's when you refuse love. C.S. Lewis used to say, the door to hell is locked on the inside. Hell is when you're standing in the, in the presence of perfect love and goodness and kindness 
and you say, I don't want anything to do with you. That's hell. And you lock the door on the inside. And I've been around, I'm 61 years old, I've been around long enough to know that that doesn't start after people die. People lock the door on the inside in this life. And the longer you resist, the harder it is to open that door. And so I say that Judas was getting this opportunity to be receive love. Did you know that at the Last Supper, Jesus treated him as the most honored guest? When he offered that bread, that was the Middle Eastern way of saying, you're the honored guest. Right to the very end when he went out, and, and John ominously writes, and it was night. When you walk away from love, that's hell. That's hell. So Judas, right to the very bitter end, became hardened. His ideals hardened him. And you know what ideals do? They become fertile ground for the false self to emerge. When you don't receive love, when you don't receive God's forgiveness and mercy, the false self emerges. Rather than being a beloved child of God, you begin to find your identity in what I've achieved, in what I possess, and what other people think of me. And so Judas didn't care about the poor. It was just a cover for the false self. I love John. You know, you got to understand that John wrote this a few years later. So he just kind of adds his own comment. He didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he's a thief. <laughs> so Jesus comes to her defense, of course, and says, leave her alone. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You'll always have the poor among you, but you will not always have does that mean that Jesus didn't care about the poor? Well, we've read enough about him elsewhere to know that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is a lot about love is timing. Timing. Jesus just said her timing is amazing. I think what really moved Jesus about this act of Mary was she got him. He realized this woman gets me. Nobody else gets me. Do you know what it's like? When somebody gets you, <laughs> I just loved it when, we, when Wade came up to Lower Post and we didn't have all these projects and these meetings and these programs. We just were with people. And I've had people come up with me and say, well, when, when are we going to do something? And I just love the fact that he got it. He so got that. It takes a lot less stress off our Jesus loved the fact that Mary got him, that it was about relationship, that it was about loving well. And and, it, and that we can we need to watch this loving our ideals more than people, loving a good sermon more than I love people, loving a good church or successful church more than I love people. And receiving well is essential to loving well. So why is it so hard for us to receive love? Why? This week with my schedule, I was, 
I had a, a 14 straight days uh, without a Sabbath last with lower post, and, and I had a three-day migraine. It started Monday, and the funeral, and then it was still Tuesday. I just, I was so tired. And I had this probably busiest week scheduled of, of the year following lower post. And I had about four nights booked, all kinds of meetings. And as I start opening my email thing on Tuesday morning, one of the first emails I got was that one of the meetings in that day had been canceled. The person had to reschedule. Okay. So I went through my day. Another meeting got, for me, got canceled. And then uh, there was a school that had booked a lunch for pastors, and they wrote me and said, oh, it was supposed to be Wednesday. It's actually Thursday. Sorry about that. So I wrote them back and said, sorry, I'm booked Thursday. And, and then, and because I had another meeting Thursday, and then I found out the Thursday meeting got canceled, and I was about to pick up the phone and call the school and say, oh, I can come after all. And I, I, it's like I almost heard the Holy Spirit say, what are you doing? Can you just receive the fact that I've, I've actually really lightened your week? I still had a lot of meetings, but way less. But it just, it just showed me how, you know, remember that bumper sticker? Jesus is coming, look busy. <laughs> We're so used to living out of our false selves. And uh, I love... I love what Alexander White writes. This is an ancient Scottish preacher. It's, he's a little bit sexist. You know, they were in their language back then, but just bear with that. He writes, um, the, the supreme, he talks about Mary and Jesus at the cross and that he actually sent Mary, the mother of Jesus, away, but he said, keep Mary here. I need Mary here. He didn't send her away, but he sent, but he kept her there. And she stood close to the cross, weeping. And how did she wash his feet but with her tears and did wipe them again with her hair as he, she, he's hanging from the cross. And then he said, I thirst. And she grabbed the sponge out of the soldier's hand and put it to his lips. And when he bowed his head, she saw him do it. And she heard him say, it is finished. It was not the place for a woman. But Mary Magdalene was not just a woman. She was an angel. She was the angel who strengthened him. She was the whole church of God, who, the ransom bride of Christ at that moment in herself. She and her twin brother on the, the thief on the cross. How the next three days and three nights passed with Mary Magdalene, I cannot account for her to you. But on the first day of the new week comes Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark to the sepulcher. And Jesus said to her, Mary! She turned herself and said to him, Rabboni. And Jesus said, touch me not with your tears, nor with the hairs of your head, nor with your ointment. And had he not said that, she'd still be holding on to him to this day. And now that he ascended to his father's house, he's saying to his saints and to his angels, to this very day, the very same words that he said in Simon's house, this woman since I came in has not ceased to kiss my feet. But the supreme lesson to me out of all of Mary Magdalene's marvelous history is just the text. He appeared first to Mary Magdalene out of whom he had cast seven devils. It says that in Mark. Post-resurrection. He first appeared to Mary Magdalene out of whom he cast seven devils. 
as much as to say it was not to Peter, not to James, not to John that he gave the signal favor and unparalleled honor. It was not even to his own mother. It was to Mary Magdalene. It was to her who loved him the best and had the best reason to love him the best. Of all the men and women then living in the world, while this world lasts, and as long as there are great sinners and great penitents to comfort in it, let Mary Magdalene be preached upon and let this lesson be always taught, this lesson that no depth of sin, no passion, possession of devils shall separate us from the love of Christ. That repentance and love will outlive and overcome everything as also there is no honor too high, no communion too close for the love of Christ on his side and for the soul's love on her side between them to enjoy. Only deep repentance and tears, only love. Mary Magdalene loved him out of whom he cast seven devils out of her heart. And he'll appeal to you, he'll appeal to you appear to you also, and will call you by your name, and he will employ you in his service even more and better. Mary Magdalene, I love this, my sister, my forerunner into heaven till I come and my representative there, but remember only till I come. Cease not to kiss his feet till I come, but give up your place to me when I come, for to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. Give peace then, give place to me before his feet. He's a good old Celtic Scottish Presbyterian preacher. Cheated a bit today. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, teach us to be receivers. Teach us to be receivers, Lord. I used to hear it said, be a believer, but I hear the Lord saying today, be a receiver. Be a receiver. Lord, we need you to teach us how to receive as much as we need you to teach us how to give. And we know that often in the giving is the receiving. But Lord, teach us how to receive your love. Like Larry, just to know that we exist to be loved. That's the primary purpose. You exist to be loved by God. And so that's why I love communion, because communion is a simple way that we respond to the God's invitation to come to the table. It's a simple way that we come and we say, you know what, there's nothing I can do. There's nothing I can say. There's nothing I can earn. I can't earn this. I can't become good enough or holy enough or pray enough. It doesn't matter where you've done how successful this week has been, what a failure and dismal week this has been. It doesn't matter. The invitation is just come. Just come to the table. Receive my love. Receive the blood that I shed for you. Receive, I am your bread. Jesus said, I am your bread of life. Just receive it. Let it, let it bypass all your performance things and all your deadlines and all your shoulds and have tos. Just let him come. Let him come in. Let him feed you today. Let him strengthen you today. I'm going to invite Rick to come. 
And who's ever serving with you today? Prepare yourselves. We're going to bless these elements. And I want this communion time to just flow, evolve into time of prayer. I'm going to pray for Fanny today. Uh, I want us to, I want it to evolve into time of messy vineyard fellowship, loving one another. Just feel like the Lord is just speaking a word of release. Just a word of release. There's some Mary Magdalene's here today. Male or female. And there's just been some self-destructive behaviors going on. And he's come to de deliver you from your self-destructiveness. And it, there's a whole scale of what that looks like. You know? I may not kill myself suicidally, although sometimes I feel like doing that in, in the illness that I struggle with. But I find that self-destruction happens in more subtle ways, too, on that scale. And he speaks a word of release and says, you're my beloved. You're my beloved. You're worth it. You belong to me. You're not your own. You don't have that decision. You're mine. And you belong to those around you. I've given you as a gift. I, I saw this verse in the Bible the other day. I've never seen before. I don't know when God snuck that one in there. But, but Jesus said, my father has given my sheep as a gift to me. It's in John 10. You are a gift from the father to Jesus. And that means, because of who Jesus is, you are a gift to the body of Christ, to us. And because you're part of the body of Christ, you're a gift from the heart of God. So come, come to the table. Jesus took this bread and he broke it. He said, this body, this bread is, is my body, which is broken for you. Come and let me be your bread today. And he said, he took this cup, lifted it in thanks after they'd eaten supper. And he said, this cup represents and is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. Any, any list that the devil comes up, the accuser, says, you're, you're disqualified because you're this or that, or you've done this or done that. It's been nailed to the cross. And you bear it no more, as the songwriter said. So, after you've received, we'll just invite you to come down the middle like we normally do. And uh, Rick and Joanna are going to serve. And as they, as they serve you, they're going to say, the body of Christ broken for you, blood of Jesus shed for you. You just receive it. You can stay up here and receive prayer or pray together with people or you can go back to your seat and just, just uh, soak a little bit. Let's all stand together. So Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and just anoint these elements with the power and presence of your Holy Spirit. That we're not in this alone. That we're not just going through some ritual. That you, the living Christ, the resurrection and the life, you're walking amongst us. And those who believe in me, though they were dead, yet shall they live. Live today, people. Live. Choose life. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.